Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Good morning, everybody. Once again, this is a privilege and honor. I am excited, and the fact that I'm standing still is a miracle. Uh, so, I don't know if you know this, but the word gospel um, is what we call good news. In the Greek, is evangelion, which is, um, it's, not a, it's not something I have to convince you of. You know, it's as if you open the newspaper and you read uh, that the storm was won <laughs> yesterday. And it's not something that is disputed. It's a fact. And so in the same way, you and I go around saying, Christ is risen. There's nothing to dispute here. It's a fact. It's happened. And because of it, we are alive. But Paul uh, says something quite interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for the Jews seek a sign, and the Greek look for wisdom. Uh, But we preach Christ. Uh, crucified uh, to the Jew a stumbling block and to the Greek foolishness but to those who are being saved Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God and if you were to put that in uh, today's terms it would be as if we were reading that newspaper today and you open it up and it says the storm was won and to the storm supporter man that's good and all, it's just, you, you feel it with everything in you. I'm not a storm supporter, I don't support rugby. So, just, just an analogy. Um, if you are a bull supporter, however, stumbling block. <laughs> uh, this news doesn't uh, suit you well. If you don't support rugby at all, whatsoever, all of this is just foolishness. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And so... I pray that today that as I share that God would use my words and that the words that I speak would be wisdom and life to you and not foolishness. So we've been speaking about making room for God. Making room for God. Pastor Frank started us off and wow, that was good. Uh, And then Stephen followed up. That was also good. He just kept the momentum going. And then Craig shared, and God, that was amazing. And then last week, Pastor Michael shared. And I mean, the way the service ended uh, was amazing. I made a joke with him. I said to him, you know, he's he's moving furniture and all these types of things. He says, don't you think it went great? I said, I'm the person that has to put everything back together. Like, (laughs) very, very difficult. uh, But it it was a really good time. And uh, I'm going to keep on that theme of making room for God. And I want to just give you my point up front, just in case I fail along the way. (laughs) Just in case, you know, I I don't get it uh, all the way right. Here's my heart. When we speak about making room for God, we need to remember that making room for God always means making room for one another. 
when we talk about God, come and have your way in my heart and in my life and do what only you can do in me, what that means is as he transforms us, shapes us, molds us into his image and his likeness and his character, automatically you and I make space for one another to have that same experience. But many times in my own life, just speaking about me here, I ask God to come and do something amazing in me, and that grace comes, and I feel amazing, and it's, a, it's just wonderful. And then when I see my brother and my sister crying out for that same thing, I choke the grace of God because of what they did to me, <laughs> or because I am offended, or because of, in other words, I've not allowed the thing God has done in me to make room for those around me so that they can experience the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God through me, right? And so I would like to turn to Matthew chapter 21, uh, verse 12 and 17, to 17, sorry. I'm reading from the ESV translation because uh, I'm vanilla and boring. So let me read. Uh, and Jesus entered the temple and drove all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So Jesus enters into the temple and he just starts turning tables, much like what happened last week. Just, just starts moving things around. And it's not a pretty sight, you know? It's, it's, it was quite uncomfortable for Pastor Michael last week to say, can you get up, please? <laughs> can you get up? Can you, can you move things around, right? Now, if you've ever wondered how interested and how serious God is about the relationship he has with you. Look no further than this text. This is real passion on display for you and me. You know, we always say, God is, is jealous for you and I. Now, in our English language, that, that term is, is, that jealousy comes from a place of insecurity. But God is not insecure. And so his jealousy in the Greek is actually, you could use the word zeal or passion. His passion for you and me is so strong that he will not have you and I be shared with anything or anyone else except him. And so here Jesus is just absolutely turning tables, right? moving things around. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in Matthew chapter 21, it doesn't start this grim. Matthew 21 is what we would consider to be Palm Sunday, 
where Jesus is getting on his donkey and he's going down, he's entering into Jerusalem and the people are going berserk. They are praising him. They are, are hailing him as their king. He's the king. He's the savior. He's the one that will come and overthrow Rome. He is our new David. Right? And so they're throwing their clothes on the floor. They're cutting off branches from trees. They are making a pathway for him into Jerusalem. It's amazing. And then Jesus decides, I'm going straight into the temple, and I'm going to take all this excitement, and I'm going to turn it upside down. <laughs> right? Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a similar story in the book of 2 Samuel where King David, after the death of Saul, is actually surrounded by the people, and they say to him, they say to him, when, when Saul was around, you led us, you protected us, and so we're going to make you our king. And so they anoint David as king. And in 2 Samuel, uh, from verse uh, 4, I think it is, David decides he's going to take Jerusalem. So David goes, he's, he's just crowned king, and his first act as king is to enter Jerusalem now. Jerusalem at that point is inhabited by the Jebusites. It's not, it's not the people of Israel's land at that point just yet. And the Jebusites are cocky. They've got a great wall. They've got this beautiful wall that can protect them and hold on and keep them safe. And they say to David, there's no way you're coming in. There's no way you're going to get this place. And we are so confident of it that we will put the blind and the lame on the walls as the watchman. That's pride. <laughs> right there, right? You are impressed with your building, with your wall. And so they put the, the, the men up, the blind and the lame on the wall. And David is obviously very upset about the situation. So he says to his men, one of you, whoever wants to go, Climb up the water shaft, destroy them all. Climb up the water shaft, destroy them all. So they climb up the water shaft. They kill the lame and the blind and the people in the city. And David takes the city of Jerusalem as his stronghold. And this is what the Bible says um, about David once he, once he did this. He says, and David said to them, wherever, in 2 Samuel 5 verse 8, Whoever should strike the Jebusites, let them go up the water shaft and attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. By David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Now, that's, that, that doesn't sound good, right? Partly why the lame and the blind come into the temple after Jesus turns all the tables upside down is because from that point, the blind and the lame were no longer allowed into the temple. They were left outside. They were not considered to be human almost. And so Jesus, much like David, takes the city walls and he overturns the tables, literally, and allows the people that were held out to come in. 
you and I were held out. But Jesus turns the tables so we can come in. But he doesn't leave us the way we were. The Bible says he healed them. Right? <laughs> There's absolute healing that goes on in our hearts when the Lord welcomes us in. And so here we see just how serious Jesus was about relationship with his people. And unfortunately, after Jesus leaves this situation, the Pharisees just go back to doing what they do. They don't allow the lame in again. That's why in Acts chapter 3, when John and Peter are walking up to the temple, there's, still a, there's a lame man sitting outside the beautiful gate. Not allowed in. And so Peter and John do what they, they oh, the only thing they can do so that this man can go in. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto you. Stand up in the name of Jesus. And what does the man do? The first thing he does, for the first time in his entire life, he runs into the temple. <laughs> Shouting. This is amazing. Right? And so here we see the heart of God. His desire is to have you and I share relationship with him unhindered by anything. And so the first question you should probably ask is like, why, besides the, the, the fact that the lame are not allowed in, why? Why is Jesus turning tables here, you know? <laughs> Many people think, you know, they were selling things in the, in the, in the temple. Now, that's, that's not... That's not really the reason why he's, he's turning the tables. He's not turning the tables because they are selling pigeons and lambs and all of those things. Because think about it just for a for moment. If you were going to bring your sacrifice, you've raised this animal for how long? You're now living within the diaspora, within the, on the Mediterranean, and you're flocking to Jerusalem to bring your sacrifice. And people are are having to travel long distances. The last thing you want is to have raised this animal and someone robs you along the way. Now you've got nothing. Or your animal gets sick. Right? And the priest looks at it and it's not perfect. So, no, you can't offer this. Right? So there was nothing wrong with the fact that they were selling the, the pigeons. In the same way, I don't look at you skew because you EFT your tithes because <laughs> it's safer. You know what I mean? Imagine our policy was you must bring the cash. That's, that doesn't make sense. Right? It's, there's a greater risk involved there. So in the same way, Jesus is not really fussed over the fact that they are exchanging, money is exchanging hands. His, his real frustration is the fact that people are being discriminated against. So if you were a foreigner, it's a lot harder to buy something in the temple. If you want the, the right culture, very difficult. If you were someone that wasn't ethnically Jewish, but you were serving the God of Israel, they were allowed into the outer court, but it made it very hard for them to get anywhere past that point. And so Jesus is saying, you guys have, has, have created this exclusionary environment where only the people you like and think are worthy are welcome. And so he comes in, just takes it all out. 
And Jesus actually tells us this when he says, you, my house, shall be called a house of prayer. And he's actually quoting from Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, the entire passage is about foreigners being welcomed into the house of the Lord. And these foreigners are not just people that are from abroad. They are also eunuchs, people who were considered to be half men. Anyone that was discriminated against, Isaiah 56 is saying, God is saying, my arms are wide open to you. So Isaiah 56 verse 7 says this, These I will bring to my holy mountain, speaking about the foreigners, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. As we make room for God in our own hearts and minds, we make room for one another because his house shall be a house of prayer for all people. And then, in verse 9, God begins to address the irresponsible leaders of Israel when he says this. Now, I want you to think about the story I told you about David. He says this, All you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts of the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And he's saying, you have become the blind watchman on the wall. And I've come to destroy the situation, much like David did when he took the reins. And so Jesus is upset. But the quote doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Jesus then quotes from Jeremiah chapter 7, when he says, but you have made my house a den of robbers. Right? This is what Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 8 to 12 says. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered? Only go on doing only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to the place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. He pronounces judgment on that temple. He says, really? Do you think I'm blind? Do you think I'm the blind watchman on the wall that cannot see what's going on? So he pronounces judgment. And he says to them, I want you to remember the place that was called by my name in Shiloh. Now, Shiloh was the place where they put the Ark of the Covenant at first. 
And because of their wickedness, they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And as a result of that, God utterly destroyed that place. There was not a stone left unturned in Shiloh because of the wickedness of the people. And so Jesus absolutely pronouncing judgment on this old temple because of the nature of which the leaders were running it. And so here we see Jesus saying, I'm done. I'm done with this. After he pronounces that judgment, though, he brings the lame in. Brings them in. Because Jesus is modeling what the new temple will look like. That our arms will be open and those who come will be restored. Those who come will be healed. Those who come will be accepted in Jesus' name. Right? And so he's modeling a new temple. And this new temple is quite interesting because in Acts chapter 2, we actually see the initiation of the new temple. We see in Acts 2 what it looks like when God says, now I'm coming to be with my people like I did all those other times. And so you have this imagery of fire, which represents the fire that comes down to consume the sacrifice. You have the spirit, which is the spirit of the Lord that fills the temple. But then you have this, this strange part where 120 people, sound of a sound that they don't know what they're saying. And so this 120 sounds is foreign languages because God is saying, my house now is once again a house for all people. Everyone can come in. And I don't know if you know this, but in, 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 when Solomon builds his temple, and just before the Spirit of the Lord descends onto the temple and pushes the priests out of it, Solomon says, get me 120 silver trumpets to blow a sound that would go into the heavens. And when that sound is sounded, my spirit will come. And so Luke is very aware of the fact that this new temple is being established. And this new temple is wonderful because this new temple is not made with human hands. And you and I are that temple. You and I sound off that sound every Sunday. We come here and we lift up our voices and we say to the Lord, you are welcome. Have your way. And our church is filled with so many flags because it's for the nations. It's for everyone. And so... This is what First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, when Paul in 2 Corinthians from chapter 3, he starts talking about the temple, the old temple, and then he compares it with the new temple, and he says the new one is amazing, it's glorious. It's so glorious that the old temple has no glory in comparison. And he says this in 2 Corinthians five sixteen: From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regard Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. 
And what he's saying here is he's saying, what we do when we make room for God is we make room for each other. The way we make room for each other, he will go on in Second Corinthians 5, and he will talk about how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. When you and I are reconciled to God, we reconcile with one another. When you and I experience God and live from that experience, others get to experience God. If it, for, if it were not for the overflow of someone like Craig in my life, I would not be standing here today. It's just, you would, you would not have known me at all. Because someone was immersed in the presence of God. And as a result of that, extended the grace of God to me when I had no capacity to, to experience it by myself, for myself. And so Jesus models what the new temple is like. And you and I have the privilege of modeling that too. When you and I make room for God, we make room for one another. And as we make room for one another, we get to respond like the children responded in the temple. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And remember this. When you make that sound, when you start praising, there will always be someone that's a naysayer. <laughs> like the Pharisees. Do you hear what they're saying? Do you, are, you, are, you, are you sure you want to let them say these things? The reason why they're asking that question is because what the children are crying out is that Jesus is the God of Psalm 8. Right? Which is why Jesus responds and he says, have you not read? He's quoting Psalm 8. That I prepared praise from the mouth of babes. Right? This is what Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4 says. And then we're going to close. <laughs> Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. When we make room for the Lord and for one another, we give each other the opportunity to be in awe of the goodness of God. We create room for others to come in and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And all of a sudden, we get caught up in awe of God because we all know we cannot do any of this without him. None of this is possible if he doesn't come and dwell among us and in us. And so I want to encourage you today that as you are with me on this journey of making room for the Lord, that you remember that as you make room for the Lord, unconsciously you make room for each other. That when I am filled with the love of God, that love is given away to others. When I am experiencing the kindness of God, that kindness is extended to you. 
But when I have lost sight of his goodness and his kindness and his presence, I have no room for anyone. So, I would like to pray as we close. Because I sense that God would have you know that the people closest to you, the people that, that, that know you, <laughs> they know everything about you, those people are the people that we very rarely give and make room for to experience the Lord through us. And so as you think about those people, as you are mindful of the fact that while you make room for God, you are making room for them, even though they might irritate you, even though they might uh, get under your skin, it is a privilege for you and I to make room for the Lord to the point that we make room for them. And so, let's stand and pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you. We honor you. Because you have made room for us. You have given us the privilege of being in your presence. And as a result, O oh Lord, we just want to open up our arms and welcome others in. And say they are welcome. They get to experience you just as we have because your love is infinite. It doesn't run out. And so I pray, Father, that you would forgive us when we keep others out of your presence. That you would allow us, O oh Lord, to be so filled with your spirit that we would be peacemakers. That we would reconcile with one another. That we would extend your grace and your mercy and your goodness to each other. And as a result, O oh Lord, that you would command your blessing in that place. So we just bless you, Father. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you've done for us through Christ. And we say, just have your way today, Lord. Have your way, Father, in our hearts and in our lives. And as you come and turn the tables in our hearts and our lives, may there be enough room for those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.